Eric Estep here. One of my favorite parts of being a NASCAR fan is collecting diecasts. It's how I got my start on YouTube, actually. To me, a room is not complete until it features shelves of NASCAR diecast cars. It's as good a time as ever to continue your collection or begin an all-new one by pre-ordering your favorite driver's 2022 next-gen diecast at LionelRacing.com or at any authorized Lionel retailer. Lionel is the official diecast of NASCAR, and don't miss Lionel Racing's NASCAR Authentics diecasts at a Walmart or Target near you. Not only is Lionel the official diecast of NASCAR, but they're also official supporters of the Out of the Groove Podcast Network. So what are you waiting for? Head to LionelRacing.com to order your favorite driver's 2022 diecast. Hey, Ben, it's Aaron. Hey, Aaron, it's Ben. So, Ben, how long have you been following NASCAR? A lifetime. How fitting, then, that we're the hosts of the A Lifetime in NASCAR podcast. A Lifetime in NASCAR highlights NASCAR's illustrious history with analysis and anecdotes from a couple of NASCAR historians, namely myself, Aaron Burns, and my buddy, Ben White. We'll discuss contemporary NASCAR topics and everything we've seen and heard through the years. You're going to learn about where the sport has been, where it will go, and the inside scoop on some of the craziest stories you'll ever hear. Ben, do you ever like, do you ever feel like the title historian almost doesn't like fully encompass what you are in in the sport? Or do you think it's like a perfect title for you? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's kind of fun to go when you know, I was talking to Jeff Gordon the other day for something I was working on, and he called me a, a historian of NASCAR, and I thought that was kind of neat. Did he really? From, yeah, he did. And I, you know, I said, "Well, thank you, Jeff. That means a lot to me." I mean, I, I was flattered that he he yeah. called me a historian. So, yeah, I'm kind of I'm okay with that. I mean, I, that, that was a great compliment coming from from a Daytona 500 500 winner and a five time Brickyard 400 winner. So yeah, I was kind of cool with that. Yeah. <laughs> I see to me, like when I, I, I get referred to as a historian or something, it almost makes me feel like I'm older than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when we start talking about this NASCAR stuff, that only makes it worse because you know, we're, we're going in depth about things um, that in some cases happened before we were born. Um, yes. But that's part of it. I think that's part of the fact that we have spent a lifetime in NASCAR. And so yeah. it's only appropriate that we discuss it. But we're going to kick things off today with something a little more recent, or somebody a little more recent. He drives the number 22 car in the Cup Series. His name is Joey Logano. He's got 27 wins. His most recent win, he finally bagged a dirt win in his first try in the Cup Series because <laughs> it was the first one we've done in 50 years. He won the race, which is super impressive. But... Joey Logano's honestly been impressive since he started at, at Team Penske in 2013. I think a lot of us weren't sure what was going to become of this guy. It was it was really a risk, Ben. I think we've touched on this before about how Brad Keselowski wanted Logano to uh, be his teammate at Penske. So he recruited him to t- take over the 22 car, and he's won 25 races in that car. And it almost feels like he's won more, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. And you know, it's... He came into it just uh, feeling like, you know, super, super young as a as a driver. Uh, you know, I, I want to say many years ago, maybe not that many years ago. It was '09 was his first full season, which is yeah, wild. And, yeah, it doesn't in a way it doesn't seem like it's been quite that long ago. But yeah, uh, he he came in with uh, 
uh, you know, a lot of talk about how great he was going to be. Mark Martin was a big cheerleader for for Joey Logano, and and now he's he's won like what twenty seven races yep. uh, in the Cup Series and and done quite well for himself. And yeah, he's he's a you know obviously have to call him a veteran Cup Series driver now because he's won everywhere and of course on the dirt. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, Aaron. I thought you were going to say now he has a bag of dirt. Ha ha. But, uh, ha ha. But yeah. So, but Try the yeah, he did. He did well on the dirt at sure. Bristol and proved that he could race on any any track anywhere. And yeah. he's done a remarkable job in the 22 car. And you know, he was in the 20 car with Joe Gibbs and uh, had some victories there. If you think back and, and did some tumbling in the 20 car back at Dover. Oh yeah. Uh, and I asked him about that one time in 2012. So it only been three years after that wreck. So he gets, he barrel rolled down, down the corner at Dover in a crash that really kind of defied logic of what a wreck at Dover mm-hmm. could be like. Uh, but if you guys look it up on YouTube, it's there. And I asked him something about that in 2012 when the Cup Series was getting ready to go back to Dover. And he was like, God, people still remember that? And I just wanted to be like, dude, <laughs> we're never going to forget it. I mean, that's no. that was a, a big deal. And, you know, I hate to be almost critical when I say this, but because I've always liked Joey Logano. Um, I've said many times on this podcast and elsewhere that he's the ultimate pro. He's super, super pleasant to work with. He, he's great to talk to, very approachable. Um at worst, one of the top five guys in the Cup Series in terms of professionalism. At worst, probably top three or higher, in my opinion. But, Ben, when he was hired by Team Penske, I kind of thought he was damaged goods. Um, because you, you said that he you know he came in the Cup Series, he was, so, he was so hyped. He took over Tony Stewart's number 20 Home Depot car at Joe Gibbs Racing. He won two races in four years. One of them was uh, a stroke of good fortune his rookie year at Loudoun, New Hampshire. When they were running thirtieth all day, and they stayed out, it rained anyone. So hey, uh, it counts. And then mm-hmm. he bagged one at Pocono in June of 2012. But you know, he, he he had some good runs in that car. I just I think a lot of people at that time thought that he was gonna that he was kind of destined for what JGR was offering him, which was a full time Xfinity Series ride. And we thought maybe Joey Logano was gonna go the you know have a this isn't a bad thing when I say this, but like have an Elliot Sadler type career. And again, I like Elliot Sadler. I love bologna burgers. And so he and I will always have that, that bond that we share that we love fried bologna sandwiches. But, uh, I don't think Joey Logano likes fried bologna sandwiches. He might, but he definitely likes winning cup races and he's done mm-hmm. a whole lot of it since then. And I'm really glad because he's really an excellent ambassador for the sport. Uh, the summer shootout at Charlotte Motor Speedway when they race legend cars and bandoleras, there's always somebody, there's always a kid in a yellow, uh, yellow, yellow legend car Brabando with a red 22 for Joey Logano. The fact that kids really like him, I think, speaks to uh, his professionalism, the way he carries himself, and of course his skill as a driver. Um, but Ben, the weird thing for me about Joey Logano was he was the first full-time Cup driver younger than me, and because uh, you know he'd graduated high school, he's uh, two and a half years younger than me. He graduated high school. And was, you know, running the Daytona 500. And I was a junior in college. And I was just like, oh, man, now people are they're getting in here. They're younger than me. And now, like, yeah. two-thirds of the Cup Series younger than me. Um, hey, so, how, how do you think I feel? Okay, so I got to ask. Do you remember oh, the first guy in the Cup Series who was racing who was younger than you? Because at that time, when you started covering the Cup Series, you were fairly young. Yeah. And you're still fairly young. Um, but we're both young at heart. But... um. 
do you remember a guy who the first one who may have been younger than you was it was it Bobby Hillen maybe? Oh gosh, I don't remember. But you know, I look at these uh, these like going to racing reference, and these mm-hmm. guys were born in like in two thousand three. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> once they're born after in the two thousands, it got bad. Now, now you got people you know, born after nine well, eleven. Yeah, it's yeah. It's it was like um, you know, I, I'm I'm like forty or something when they're born. <laughs> It's like you got to be kidding me, guys. Come on, you know. But uh, anyway, no, they're they're um, when they have to get permission from their parents to drive in the Cup Series or something, you know, like that. It's just kind of crazy. But yeah, it's it, you know, I'm I'm look, I do I look at these stats and I'm I'm trying to find out where they're from or whatever. And I look at when they're born and it's like you got to be kidding me, really. You know, I was no kidding. Like I was looking at. Um, I think I was looking at like Chase Briscoe or something mm-hmm. yesterday, and I can't remember exactly what the date was. I think it was like 1999 when he was born. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't be kidding me. So, uh, but anyway, yeah, I was already in my, you know, gosh, uh, I can't add 25 or 27, 28 years into this or something when he was born. So, Heck, yeah. Ty Gibbs. Ty Gibbs won the most recent Xfinity <laughs> okay. race at Charlotte Motor Speedway and the most recent ARCA race at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Ty Gibbs was born when I was a couple months into my freshman year of high school. And that's just not okay. And, you know, we started. How do you think I feel? So, yeah, yeah. We started this podcast talking about how we didn't feel like we were that old. And now here I am. We've spent almost 10 minutes talking about, you know, all we've done is basically justify the fact that we're historians because we're so much older than all these guys now, or a lot of them. Fortunately, I still got guys like Kyle Busch and Brad Keselowski. I, I don't know if you ever did this, Ben, but, like, every year I, like, look at the grid for a cup race and just kind of go down the list and count who's older than me, and right. uh, that list gets shorter every year. Right. Well, it's like it's like William Byron, who who to me looks like he should still be in the like what sixth grade, but sure. hey, yeah, <laughs> it's like hey, go go William Byron. Okay, I mean, good for you, buddy. You know, you're out there winning races and big races and winning pole positions at Daytona. Good for you, pal. But, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's still like a Ricky Rudd. You know, Ricky always had that little boy look, even mm-hmm. though he was way older than that. But, uh, yeah, it's just it's just funny to me how these guys, they just look like they should be, you know, shooting hoops in the backyard or serving French fries or whatever at a local uh, burger joint. But, nope, they're out winning pole positions at – at Daytona and Talladega, but hey, good for them. You know, it's great. I, yeah, I love it. I mean, Ty Gibbs is is out driving race cars and winning races. When I thought it was a big accomplishment to still be winning on my Xbox, um, <laughs> and for all I know, he probably yeah. still thinks it's an accomplishment for him to win on his Xbox too. I don't know which one yeah. comes easier to him. In real life, it seems pretty easy. Um, right. So, Ben, are you younger or older than Bill Elliott? He was born on October eighth, nineteen fifty-five. No, I'm younger. I'm okay. younger. I was I was born August thirty-first. 1960 so yeah he's got about five years on me so all right so i'm trying to think 1960 that's why i didn't like the dale jarrett kyle petty kyle petty time period dj's older than you yeah no no now kyle and i are this around the same age his birthday is june 2nd 1960 and mine is august 31st 1960 so so kyle's got you so you're you're younger than kyle too yeah just uh you know a little bit a couple months yeah. I, yeah, I'd like to. I, so I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, I, it, Bobby Hill made his first. You know, he was running Cup in mid mid '80s, and he was like 20. So, yeah. Um. So he he's he's younger, but I think there's other guys. Uh, and you just got me curious now. So I'm, I'm looking <laughs> looking them up. All right, you're younger yeah. than Rusty. All right, man. So pretty much the '80s. You pretty much got the '80s covered. The '80s for you 
were the 2000s for me where like you know most everybody is older than you and you you still feel young and they're like you get in the 90s and it's like I don't like the fact these guys are a lot younger than me now. This kind of sucks. Because, you know, like, yeah. certainly you have that feeling of, all right, well, I've been around long enough that I feel like I have this some mastery of this sport, uh, at least from a knowledge perspective and a, right. a storytelling perspective. Uh, but these these people have my age are coming in and winning the races, and this is right. kind of depressing. Um, here's the thing, though. The one thing that Kyle Petty and I have in common is that we both watched Gilligan's Island after school and we both had we both ate mayonnaise sandwiches together i mean ah, i can't do that that's the thing you know so we got that in common don't know if you like mayonnaise on a hot dog we never talked about that but that's a way yeah. different story we don't have to go into that this time but we did we did do the mayonnaise sandwich thing so all right we got that in common yeah and i i feel like kyle probably you know because we we talked about i think kyle probably the one who who was most likely in nascar history to eat mayonnaise on a hot dog um Probably so. I'm, I, you know, other than like maybe somebody overseas or something who raised cup, but you know, anyway, Joey Logano, gotcha. did he like mayonnaise on his hot dog? Almost assuredly not. Um, you know, but so, yeah, so I just, it, it felt weird to me, Ben, speaking to Joey, he yeah. got in the cup series and it was that moment of like, you know, cause 2009 for me was like, uh, now like the number one pick in the NBA draft is younger than me. You know, the youngest guy in the cup field is younger than me. It's like, oh, I'm 21 and already these people are like surpassing, you know, like now the sports that I follow and enjoy are getting people younger than me. Now, uh, you know, Marvin Williams was the last vestige of the Charlotte Hornets who is older than me and they let Marvin go last year. Um, so there's only one Carolina Panthers player, Ben, who's who's older than me. It's the worst. The Panthers are one of the youngest teams in the NFL, and uh, I guess it's fitting they're the age of a college team because they had a longtime college coach. But um, just, you know, it. I guess um, in a nutshell, um, I don't think getting old sucks, but um, it just feels weird when, like, these people, when you're the age of, you know, you're always so used to being younger than these people that you look up to, and suddenly they're younger than you. It mm-hmm. took a couple of years of like, you know, you had to get used to it. Now it's like, all right, whatever, like 25 drivers are younger than me. So it's like, all right, it's just, this is how it's going to be from here on yeah. out. You're not getting any rookie <laughs> sensations who are older than you. Doesn't work that way right. anymore now. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's wild that, you know, and, and we may have talked about this a little bit, but how the the ages and the careers of, of cup drivers now are so different because, you know, Dale Jarrett was a rookie. He was not a rookie sensation. He was a young gun at 34, 35, which is older than me now. He was right. a young gun. Now, you know, you're Joey Logano turns 31 this year and he's and he's old hat. You guys are retiring right. in their early to mid 40s when you had people like Bobby Allison and Dale Earnhardt competing for championships in their late 40s. Now, most everybody retires years before that. So yeah, it's interesting man. how the career arcs have gone. And you got some guys. Uh, like Dale Jr., and you know, obviously his case is a little bit different because of injuries too. But people who started in their late twenties but still hanging up before their their late forties, and and this is so different because back in the day, guys would run thirty years, and you know, it wasn't until I guess the best way to put it, Ben, was in the eighties and nineties. Your fiftieth birthday was like your fortieth birthday. Now, how do you feel about mm-hmm. that? You, you agree? Yeah, that's true, and and you know, it, it of course sort of depended on the driver himself. You know, Lee Petty was now get this he was 35 years old in 1949 when bill france senior started nascar and so think about that a second he was 35 when he started his career where in the in the early to mid 60s a lot of drivers 
were uh, hanging up their careers at 35. But you got to remember this. Yeah, too. Kyle Busch is that, 36, just to put that yeah. in, in context. Right. And so back in those days, I mean, you got to remember that when you're driving a, say, 1964 Ford Galaxy versus a, a Ford of today, I mean, obviously, no, no contest. The cars of today were much, much safer than what they were driving back in those days, of course. Uh, you know, and really all that you really had in those days, they had safety equipment, you know, to make sure that we're protecting the drivers. But but to be fair, you know, the cars of today obviously are much safer than what they had then. And you had uh, cars uh, on the right front. Of course, they were beefed up on the right wheel and they had some roll bars uh, in the cars that home and Moody, the, the Ford factory team in Charlotte, they really, really made those cars better. But prior to that, they really weren't as safe. But in all honesty, when cars crashed, that's when they learned how to make them safer and safer. So, yeah, Sad but, but Bobby Allison told me once, he said, look, if I had not had the crash at Pocono in 1988, that was a near fatal accident. Praise the Lord. He wasn't he didn't lose his life in that crash. Sure. But had he uh, not had that crash, then he said, I thought I was going to race till I was 110 years old. I really, I didn't <laughs> yeah, think I would I could ever see, stop. I could see Bobby kind of having that kind of, uh, that Morgan Shepard vibe where, you know, he yeah. just, he just doesn't want to quit. And, um, and to some extent, Dave Marcus was like that too. Um, and yeah, I thought that was awesome. So. You know, Dave Marcus's last cup race was in 2002, the Daytona 500. Dave Marcus was a staple of you know yeah he started shotgun on the field a lot of times in the 90s and you know and all but i mean he still won some races in his career won some big races and had a, a long uh successful career by by any by any metric and um you know i've I've wondered before who are the modern day versions of, of people like that because it's so difficult to compare there's not anybody who's much older who's starting at the back you know that once right I mean, at this point yeah. now, the oldest guys who, who make a start or two, save for Derek Cope in the Daytona 500, most everybody is, you know, in their 40s. And, you know, it wasn't long ago that that was that constituted your prime, not, you know, your damaged goods or your washed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's it's been like that with every sport. You know, Nolan Ryan's pitching well in his 40s. And now, you know, baseball pitchers, you know, a lot of them are like, hey, he's 36, you know, hey, he's. Don't want to spend too much money on that guy. He didn't have a lot left in the tank. Back, you know, sure. 15, well, 20 years ago, it was like, man, this guy's got a good five more years left. Sure. Well, today's cars, there's really no bad car on the field anymore because you got the, uh, uh, all the cars have really are as equal as probably now as ever. And all you got to do is look back at, at uh, the cars uh, at the back of the field. Like I say, it's just as good probably as the ones at the front. And you look at the cars that, uh, you know, look at Justin Haley, for instance, a couple of years ago at Daytona in the 400, yeah. where he was, uh, you know, competitive enough to be at the right place at the right time, and he ends up winning the 400 at Daytona. Where in years past, uh, only one I can think of is Dave Marcus did win a race in 1982 at Richmond because mm-hmm. he was in the right place at the right time. Sponsored by JD Stacy. Right, exactly. But here's the deal. I mean, you know, the only reason Dave Marcus left driving. Uh, when he did was because the cost of racing got so high that he just couldn't keep up. And he saw where more and more and more of the cost was going up, up, up. Are you sure? Because I thought his wingtips melted. (laughs) 
Well, there might have been a little bit of truth to that. There's, those floorboards are getting hot. Maybe it was the cost still. of wingtips was going up. Maybe so. I don't know. But, you know, I remember there's some truth to that, too. But uh, it, it's just, you know, that, you know, Dave Marcus was one. Bobby Allison was one. And again, if he had not gotten hurt, he would have still been racing, you know, and Bobby. And, you know, the cost of racing was really skyrocketing. And that's what you see today, where these cars really are so competitive and all the way through the field. They are, they really are competitive, and and the money has gotten really high, and the cars again very competitive. Drivers are very competitive. So, yeah, there was a time. Matter of fact, when I got to watching races in the early seventies, nineteen seventy two to be exact, you in those days you may have had eight to ten cars that legitimately could have won races on short tracks and super speedways, and then you had a mid pack that if they were in the right place at the yeah, right time, yeah, they needed that luck races. to do it. Right, and then you had the ones from that from from there back, the independent guys that weren't getting the money from the Ford and Chevrolet and yeah, Dodge factory. The, Ron, the Ronnie Thomases and people yeah. like that. They see, and that's you make a good point here, Ben, because Ronnie Thomas in the right car could win races. I've said that before. Sure, he could. but like, um, he, he his car at that time wasn't fast enough to stay on the lead lap for like sixty or seventy laps. So it him he couldn't pull off a Justin Haley because his car simply wasn't fast enough to stay on the lead lap for 80 or 90 laps. Justin Haley's was. He avoided the big crash. And they, you know, Peter Suspenza makes a great call to stay out, and he bags a Joey Logano at Loudon like win. It doesn't matter. You know, it's not it's not how he won it. It's that he won it. And, and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it does make a good point, you know, that the equipment now is at least fast enough to keep you on the lead lap for a longer period of time than it was before when a guy like Ronnie Thomas was going to, you know, end up about seven or eight laps down. Um, but that was also at a time when you finish seven laps down and get a top 15, which right. is, uh, which is not the case anymore with, uh, to your point, how reliable they are. Now we t- we've talked about Joey Logano. Um, you know, could you make an argument? He's the best driver of the 22 ever. Sure. We talked about Bobby Allison. He's another one he could make a great argument about. Um, I'm going to go to one in the sixties from back in the day, a guy who you've researched a lot and know a lot about far more than me. Uh, I'll, I'll freely admit is is Fireball Roberts. Um, Fireball Roberts, first of all, uh, was a phenomenal race car driver in the 1960s. He was to a lot of people at that time. They thought Fireball Roberts was really stock car racing's first superstar. He wasn't Richard Petty mainstream. He definitely wasn't Dale Earnhardt, Jeff Gordon, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Jimmy Johnson, Tony Stewart mainstream. But Fireball Roberts was was kind of a star, and he was an attraction enough that that was the reason people went to to see races. Absolutely, and he was, and he was the kind of guy who was, and and I, people have made this comparison. Uh, if you wanted to put this together to say that he was the Dale Earnhardt of the '60s, uh, and and that what I mean by that is he was the super super superstar of that era. Even Fred Lorenzen said that he was the the king uh, that he looked up to when he was listening to races early in the game uh, back, you know, he finished second in the 1950 Southern 500. And, and Fred Lorenzen said that, that when he was younger, he would try to position the car in the driveway in Elmhurst, uh, uh, Illinois, where he could listen to the Southern 500 on the radio so he could listen to his hero, Fireball Roberts. And Fireball was the kind of guy that uh, later in his career, he was the guy everybody wanted to be like. He was the guy who would wear the suit and tie and speak 
eloquently to uh, to the chambers of commerce and to the to the big crowds, the corporate crowds, and that's the ones that really looked up to. He was the superstar of the '60s, and then sadly, when we lost him, May 25th, 1964, at Charlotte in a terrible, horrific, fiery crash, and he got the nickname not from being a a fireball on the on the on the racetrack. He got it from pitching softball down in in Florida long before he ever got in a race car. But his name was Glenn Roberts, and everybody just called him Fireball. But yeah, he was a really, really sharp person off the racetrack, great driver on the racetrack. Just very sad that we lost him in, in the early 60s, like I say, May 25th, 1964. But he didn't pass until uh, July uh, 2nd, I mm-hmm. believe, of 64. When everybody was down there in Daytona for the the Firecracker 400, which which is now the Coke Zero 400 in in uh, at Daytona, but yeah, just just one of the greats, and uh, yeah, he drove the number 22 and did it for home and Moody. And the story goes very quickly. The story goes that the reason he drove a purple. Uh, Ford for Ford Motor Company, which by the way I love purple. I think that's yeah. awesome. Big fan. It was of that. a great car, and and it was kind of interesting because they just wanted to set him apart from from what Fred Lorenzo was driving. He was he was driving a purple, excuse me, a pearl white number twenty eight uh, Holman Moody Ford, and yeah. they just wanted to put him in a car that was, that everybody could identify with. Some people said. Uh, his ego got a little too big, so Ford Motor Company wanted to kind of knock that down a notch or two. I don't know how true that is, but uh, that purple car everyone could relate to. And there was a gentleman who had a song on the radio called the uh, Purple People Eater. It was some kind of strange little quip hit on the radio. It had nothing to do with Fireball Roberts, but it was it kind of coincided with the fact that that purple car was on the racetrack. and. And that people sang the song and they and they kind of related it to Fireball. And he even wore a purple driver's suit. And it was just one of those things, just a PR gimmick of the time. And yeah, that, I mean, and that's the thing, like driving, you know, people wear fire suits and paint scenes of any color car now. But that but that time, you didn't do that. I mean, it, your car was red, it was black, it was white, or it was blue. I might yeah, give it, you a couple yellow ones, and that's about it. Like, you don't, right, pur- it, white purple just didn't happen. Yeah, and that's true. And, th- and there's another part of the story very quickly, too. With, with Fireball, uh, he was asthmatic. He he had asthma badly. And back in that day, they did not have the driver's suit uh, that was, uh, you know, fireproof. Sure. And so they were they would dip this these suits, these like these mechanic suits, in this solution prior to the race. And they'd basically hang them on the, uh, on the fence and let them dry. Uh, prior to the race because this is before the fireproof driver suits but see fireball couldn't do that because he he, he just kept, simply couldn't breathe when he would do that so he wore a cotton suit that was really what took his life if he that had was been because able, he was asthmatic right if, if he had been able to to wear that suit maybe that the outcome would have been different but right. And plus, in those days, they didn't have the fuel cell that they later on developed because of this crash. So when he, when he and Junior Johnson and Ned Jarrett got into the crash coming off a of turn two on the seventh lap of the 600 that year, unfortunately, Fireball's car backed into the wall that immediately exploded what was a normal fuel tank, and it was it was a very very bad crash, and. Uh, 
you know, the outcome was terrible. And so in the Charlotte hospital for many, many weeks and the outcome really wasn't good. There were times where he rallied and and then went the other direction. And sadly we lost him, but uh, just a a tremendous driver very very well loved and the and the nascar community and and if you could put a face or a let me let me see if i come with the right the right term here the the popularity level of the 60s it would have been a dale earnhardt type popularity level of the 60s is the way fireball was received by race fans and we yeah. lost him sadly he uh, won the Daytona 500 in 1962. He won two Southern 500s in his career. Fireball Roberts passed away when he's only 35. And um, so before we, we we step away from discussing him, I think it's really cool. He won a cl- he had a class win in the 24 Hours of Le Mans in mm. 1962. And this was a time when no NASCAR driver, you know, they knew nothing about Le Mans, and I guarantee you they didn't know how to pronounce it. Um, and he goes over there to France and to, just to speak to his driving skill. Um, gets a class win driving a Ferrari. Um, so he, he was a brilliant driver. And Ben, to, to, to backtrack a little bit in our discussion in this episode, uh, we lost Fireball Roberts when he was 35. And we talked about, you know, drivers would run well into, you know, maybe the early 50s uh, until the end of the 90s. So if that didn't happen, all other things not considered, Fireball Roberts would have been racing in 1980. He would have been... In 1980, Fireball Roberts would have been 51 when the Daytona 500 got underway. So could you imagine Fireball Roberts racing against Dale Earnhardt, uh, racing against a seven-time champion Richard Petty? Um, you know, he probably might have been in the back. We don't know. I mean, it, that that's one that um, there's always going to be questions about because Fireball Roberts in the 1970s in, uh, in, in the Cup Series – would have been pretty darn interesting to see how he would have how he would have done. Um, would Richard Petty have won two hundred? Would Bobby Allison have won as many? Would uh, Would Kel Yarbrough and Buddy Baker have won as many? Hard to say, you know. Hard to say. Yeah. You, you look at all those races they won. Fireball Roberts probably was going to take some of those away because he he was a he was a brilliant race driver. He was, and you know there was another piece of this too, Aaron that that we had not talked about, but there was some talk, serious talk that Ned Jarrett, believe it or not, the night before this uh, crash occurred, they were talking uh, at the hotel, sitting around the pool, and uh, Fireball had told uh, Ned that he had already accepted a a job with Falstaff Beer, that he was gonna retire at the end of 64. That was his plan. Now, was he gonna follow through? Not sure. sure, but he was going to, uh, accept a, a contract deal with Falstaff Beer to be a spokesperson for them. And keep in mind that he's 35. He had already been racing since 1950 and maybe some short track stuff prior to that. So, again, we had talked about how these uh, age drivers back in that day, 35, 37, 38, that was about it. That's what they wanted to do. These cars were not as safe, and everyone knew it. Yeah, they didn't you know, even have, uh, they didn't have seat belts, a they, lot of them. Right. Well, they, they, they did have them, but they weren't nearly as good as what they had today. They had the lap belts. Yeah. And yeah, but they didn't have the, and they had some shoulder belts, but not nearly as good as what they had today. There's, there's shots of how they had to, you know, work the, you know, put some shoulder padding and stuff like that on the seats. But I mean, nothing, nothing at all like what they had today. And they had to fight the G forces in those days too with the cars. But 
Yeah, but I mean, he was he was thinking about possibly uh, at the end of the '64 season, ending his career and maybe getting out of, out of the cars. And you know, you have to think too because Ned Jarrett, Junior Johnson, both retired in '66. Yep. With 50 wins each, and I've heard Ned say to me that if he had known that he was tied with Junior for 50 wins, he might have stayed in it in a year or two more just to get past. He could have know, pulled to, a yeah, he could have pulled a partial schedule, man. You know, I I, I think I always find that interesting too because. You know, with the uh, with the popularity that Ned Jarrett had, you know, somebody would love to put him in a race car. But I bet Ned's wife Martha was probably like, "Nope, you, you said you're done, and you're done." And that was probably mm-hmm. how that went. Yeah, and Ned, you know, Ned had uh, Glenn Jarrett, a son, and Dale Jarrett and Patty, and it was it was time. I mean, he had been thinking for a while after, especially after what happened to uh, to Fireball. Maybe it's time for me to step away, and that's what he did. He went into broadcasting and some various business interests but i think the death of fireball had, had a lot to do with that decision as well so yeah, the other cars weren't nearly as safe as what what they are today and kind of a pioneering type mentality back in those days but a lot of safety innovations came uh, in the years immediately following fireball's uh, death yeah because of what they learned from from fuel cells and from seat belts and the driver suits were developed and a lot of the inner liners and a lot of things came from that. Sadly, we lost him, but some good things came from it. Absolutely. So right now, and Ben, you know, we've talked before about, um, you know, how popular drivers sell a lot of diecast cars and how kids get into the sport for, um, for, you know, through collecting diecast cars and, Lord knows I have hundreds of them uh, between uh, home and, and where I grew up. But, um, you know, for you guys who are, are getting into the sport and everything, we've got a really cool deal going right now. Thanks to our friends at Lionel Racing. We're giving away a 164 scale 2021 NASCAR diecast. Brand new, top of the line, just off the conveyor belt. I don't, I, they probably don't make them in conveyor belts now, but that's how I like to envision it. So you can win this 164 scale 2021 diecast. All you got to do, Follow at Lionel Racing on Twitter to say thanks for supporting the Out of the Groove podcast network, of which the A Lifetime in NASCAR podcast is a part. So I ought to go check that out. Um, and everybody loves winning free stuff, Ben. Um, I'm no mm-hmm. different, so uh, I don't know if Me I'm too. eligible to win. We're I don't not. think we are. No. Probably not. Um, so you guys ought to jump on that opportunity. Um, something that we would like to see, since we're probably not going to see a 2021 diecast jump in our mail, is uh, and something I'd like to see. You know, there's been a lot of discussion this year, particularly recently, Ben, because we ran Fourth of July at Road America. Which, ask me that five years ago, I'd be like, "You are out of your mind." There's no way that's ever going to happen. So there's been a lot of upheaval in the NASCAR schedule. People have all kinds of opinions about it. Um, some more valid than others, um, but we all we all you know, have these opinions about what we feel like the the schedule should have. Um, but in keeping that there's been so many changes in the schedule is there anywhere that you'd like to see like the xfinity or the truck guys race again that maybe they visited before um Uh, because i've got one at the top of my list and that'd take a lot of changes but hear me out here all right hickory motor speedway truck series race 200 laps the top 28 trucks make the field so you can have heat races and heat races lock in you know, you're, you're, they take thir- the top 13 from, from two heats, and then uh, you have a last chance qualifier, and they take the top two. And then a 200-lap truck series race on a 3.8 Smile Hickory Motor Speedway. 
And, you know, certainly one of the things that is going to make this difficult, uh, obviously, is NASCAR doesn't race on track shorter than half a mile in the top three series. But that doesn't matter to me because it's my, it's my question and I get to, I'm going to answer it how I want, you know? And <laughs> so that's what I wanted yeah. to do. I think that would be cool. Um, I grew up going to Hickory Motor Speedway because it was built seven or eight minutes from where I was born. And, uh, you know, they still have races there. Uh, most recently, I went just a few years ago to see the Thurback 276 late model race, which is a blast. But, you know, it, there are logistical things there. They'd have to get a, um, and, I, and I would champion this cause as much as I want to do this, Ben. You know, yeah, they need safer barriers. There, there would need to be some some upgrades in terms of the, the grandstand structure. Uh, you know, certainly things that have to, to get put up to snuff a little bit. Um, but, you know, you talk about a place that I think would put on a great show, Hickory Motor Speedway in a truck series. That'd be a blast. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I think that'd work out great. Um, are we are we talking reality or are we talking fantasy? Are we talking about both? Well, I mean, you can't say like Nazareth because it doesn't exist anymore. But right. as long as okay. it's there, it, it's it's eligible. <laughs> That's the way I okay. look at it. All right. Well, I mean, I, I want to go, uh, well, I want to say halfway fantasy here, okay? But okay. it's not as big a fantasy because it's kind of been in the news. All right, this is what I would do. Okay. First off, you got to make me the president of NASCAR for a day, and everything I say goes, which is not going to happen. <laughs> okay, now you're going like, okay, all right, I like, I like this. I'm interested. Okay. I'm intrigued. Go ahead. All right, this is what I do. I would say, all right, you got to bring back North Wilkesboro Speedway. Okay, first you got to tear down all the buildings just for safety purposes, but that's fine. Can we rebuild Take- them to where they look the same as they did? Well, you can if you want, but just for this particular <laughs> okay, just just for this particular day. That's I don't fine. think this just, is that 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 out of the question. But go ahead. No, no. See, just tear the, the buildings down for a day. Maybe put up some tents like in the old days, you know, because the press. I mean, you don't necessarily need a press box, and and put up tents like they used to have on the beach and road course at Daytona back in the early early days, because that's. You know, that's, that'd be fine. No worries there. Yeah. Pave the track, because that'll, that'll take a week or so. No big deal What there. are you paving it with? You paving it with concrete or asphalt? No, asphalt's cool. <laughs> concrete, short uh, track? <laughs> yeah, yeah yes. asphalt's cool. Okay. okay. This is what you do. You don't worry about the Gen 7 car, because you, you, they're working on that still. You're going to have a ton of these cars that you're running today. The Gen right? 6s, yeah. Yeah, you got them stored away. Everybody's got a ton of them. I got three. Go back. Yeah, go back to Wilkesboro and like just run, run on Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday night. You got a ton of them, right? So you're talking about doing something like the Knoxville National Sprint Car Race. You just have like heats every day, and then you lead up to a Saturday night feature. Yeah, just like run run a hundred mile race on Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. Okay, and then on or Saturday night, throw it into what the heck. And then on Sunday, you run like you used to run every twice a year, you know, whatever, whatever. What were those? Like 500 laps. Yeah. Whatever. 400, okay. 500 laps. So no, it Just can be whatever you want, Ben. It can be 700. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I'm depressed. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> and and just run them. Have fun. Yeah. Everybody brings a bucket of chicken. Mom makes the brownies and the sandwiches. Everybody <laughs> brings a fold-up chair. You don't need grandstands. I mean, come on. You know, let's get back to the roots. Let's get back to fun. You know, just have some fun. If you tear up your car 
on Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, no big deal. You're close to Charlotte. You're close to the shop. Just go get another car. Take that one home. <laughs> go get another one. It's I don't know simple. how much the fab guys would agree with you, but I uh, love it. Here. Well, here's the deal. You're not going to need these cars anymore, right? Sure. Because yeah, you got sure. the Gen 7s coming. So you got them stockpiled to, uh, to the rafters. I treat it like right? an ARCA race 15 years ago. I mean, yeah, yeah. it could have a decent amount of damage. and let it, you know, All four fenders are on it. Let it race. Well, see here, right? And see, you got the old wheels. You're not going to need those wheels anymore because you got the wheels coming with the one spindle thing in the middle. Yep. I mean, these cars—they got these things just stockpiled up on the shelf. Okay. Just you know, going in, you need six cars. It doesn't matter if it's a super speedway car or a short track car. It don't matter. Cars, we got cars. How many cars are you putting <laughs> in the field for this race? Oh, you need the normal forty cars, like you normal, like you used to. Oh, what was it back in those days? Like thirty six cars. 30, it was like? thirty two or thirty six at Wilkesburg. Yeah. I mean, it became thirty six, um, but then it was thirty two for a long time. Yeah, see, this doesn't have to be hard. So you do forty you got, still? You still put forty out there? If you want, man. If I got a provisional, man, I'm starting like the leaders on my bumper when I go <laughs> when I'm yeah. going into turn one, though. But here's the best part of the whole deal, okay? You, you charge the fans like, I don't know, 20 bucks, 20 bucks a ticket. Okay. okay? And you just run by and get the chicken, get the burgers, <laughs> make or make sandwiches. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. Make mayonnaise sandwiches. No, there you go. no. And just come to the track, have a good time. Everybody wins. It's just good old racing like it used to be. It doesn't have to be complicated. Sure. Because you got all these cars and these engines and these wheels and tires. You're not going to use them anymore. And then do it and just have a blast and then start the 2022 season you don't need buildings you don't need any of that stuff just bring a fold-up chair and the beverage of your choice it's it's so simple i think the advantage because a lot of people when they hear your proposal ben would say well how are you going to make money well i'll follow up it's not about money i agree but you can make some of that money back too by just selling all the, the the um sheet metal off the race cars on saturday night because you got yeah. no use for it anymore, and right. the fans are going to want that. So I think every team just names its price, and uh, the track gets yeah. a little bit of the cut, and then the fans can take Joey Logano's quarter panel home that's got a big M&M's piece in it from getting hit by Kyle right. Busch, probably. Yeah, sure. And see, I'll be there, because I would love to have a hood for the lunchroom, and I'm going to bring my bucket of chicken and my brownies, I, you know, and bring my soft drink, whatever I can't, I don't do alcohol, but I'll bring my unsweet tea and my mayonnaise sandwich. (laughs) You know, here's the thing. I think people make this stuff too, too complicated. And, oh, hey, hey, here's what we can do. And this would be, this would be cool. This would be a pre-race prior to the main event on Sunday, right? What you can do is you get Rusty, Dale Jarrett, BA, all these guys who want to, mm-hmm. they could come do a preliminary race, like 50 laps, and they just put them in a car. And then you, wouldn't that be fun? Think about what I'm saying. I mean, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd go. This would be fun. I mean, it's not about the money. It's nobody makes any money. It's just, we're just going to have fun. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I think this stuff's made too complicated. I really do. I just think it needs to be old school, back to the old way of doing things. Everybody's, if you need a sandwich, somebody will give you a sandwich. If you need, if you need plugs. That's, that's, that's engine, the slogan for Ben's, for Ben's NASCAR 
The Ben's NASCAR Cup Series. If you need a sandwich, somebody give you a sandwich. Yeah. Hey, listen. Let me tell you something. I have a standing deal with the Wood Brothers. It has been there for 30 years. If I need a tomato sandwich and I'm if I'm out working on a story and I miss lunch in the media center, that come by and you can always have a tomato sandwich on the Wood Brothers truck. That's been going on for years. That's I've when had, you know you've made it, man. I have had I've capitalized on that from time to time. <laughs> hey, I would too. I don't blame you. And I'm you. honored. I'm truly honored. That's been fun. I love your answer, Ben. That was that you took that down a direction I didn't expect, and I'm I'm here for it, man. I'm here well, for it. Well, thank you very much. I just I just think we do things. Things are made too complicated in racing sometimes. Well, and I just think that would be a blast. And I think the fans would enjoy that. And when everybody goes home happy, singing Kumbaya. <laughs> hey, I'm I'm down for it. Okay. Something you ask. There it is. Yeah, absolutely. So something else that NASCAR fans would go home happy with, and I've gone on happy with uh, on several occasions, is a copy of Pole Position magazine. Because mm-hmm. um, NASCAR Pole Position, Ben, is repping the red, white, and blue for summer, uh, as I am. I imagine you are, too. Uh, if you guys catch the newest issue of NASCAR Pole Position, you can check out an interview with the legendary Larry McReynolds, the Larry Mack, as well as country music superstar Luke Bryan, plus an in-depth look at GMS Racing and plenty more. And, you know, I'm interested, Ben, to see how GMS Racing is going to do if they uh, if they do indeed go to the Cup Series. It'll be pretty interesting to see how they shake out. But if you guys want to learn more about this still relatively new NASCAR team and all the success that they've had in the Truck Series, uh, check them out in the new issue of NASCAR Pole Position Magazine, for which Ben and I have written and uh, contributed for several years now a long time Mm -hmm. not like a super long time but a long time long enough that like if we did it for five more years our contributions would be the same age as like a truck series driver if that puts it if that puts it into uh into um into context something else that has been around a long time like the both of us ben is uh chip ganassi racing in nascar who you know chip um a long-time IndyCar racer himself um, and noted proponent of winners. He does like winners, as he has said once or twice. Uh, Chip really got into the Cup Series by by buying in um, with Felix Sabatis, and it became Chip Ganassi Racing in 2001, and they almost bagged a championship a year later with Sterling Marlin, but had a ton of success. You guys know where I'm going with this. Uh, the mm-hmm. fact that Ganassi Racing is no longer in the Cup Series after this season is wild to me. That was, uh, yeah, it's been a little bit since this news went down, but it's still crazy. It's still something to talk about. So something to consider throughout the rest of the season that Ganassi racing, this team, which has enjoyed quite a bit of success in NASCAR. Like I said, the closest they came to a title was in O2 with Sterling, um, before points leader breaks his neck in a crash. I mean, God, imagine how, imagine how Twitter would blow up if that happened now. Um, Sterling Marlin would be the top trend on Twitter for a week. Um, but, you know, it, it's crazy that Ganassi's had all this success in, in the span of 20 years and um, won some Daytona 500s, won, some, uh, won a bunch of big races, uh, employed some some truly phenomenal race drivers, not the least of whom is this dude named Kyle Larson, who I think has got a win this year. I think he's locked into the playoffs, Ben. I may need mm. to go back and check, but I think he's got at least one win this season. Um, and the easy way to tell, and it's a fun game you can play, actually. If you look at the screen on your computer... So go to your computer, click on the NASCAR schedule, close your eyes, and put a finger on the screen. You're probably going to land on a race Kyle Larson won. Um, 
Yeah. Try. Because I'm I'm pretty sure you'd you'd win most of the time, just like he does. Um and we were so close we were robbed of seeing Kyle Larson win um more races at Ganassi, but now he's making up for it by winning a bunch in Henrik Motorsports and he came so close to winning five in a row, it kinda pissed me off because I wanted to see him do it. I wanted I like to see people do things that nobody's done in the modern era and but it's okay because because uh, Kyle Larson still as long as this season's going on, Kyle Larson's got a shot at winning five more five in a row. You never know what's going to happen. Um, and this was this was proven then by the fact that you never know what's going to happen. Get up in the morning and suddenly Chip Ganassi Racing is sold to Justin Marks and Trackhouse and Pitbull uh, for an undisclosed sum, and so they're going to be a two car team. Going to be pretty crazy. Justin Marks, some people have have kind of pegged as the next Roger Penske or Chip Ganassi. And he is a true racer. And it's so... Imagine this, Ben. Imagine this for a second. Put on your thinking cap, assuming you've ever taken it off, which I know you haven't. <laughs> yes, so I Justin have. Marks, 2016, runs half the Xfinity Series races for Chip Ganassi. He had one top 10 finish. He had one top five finish. He had one win. His only top five, his only top 10 was a win at Mid-Ohio in the rain. I loved watching that race. It was super cool. Um, got to admit just recently went to mid Ohio for the IndyCar race. It was phenomenal. Mid Ohio is a super fun racetrack. We're going to touch on them in episode 23 because now they've got their own bit of NASCAR history. Um, but so Justin Marks wins this race for Chip Ganassi and then it's not five years later. He just buys the whole damn team from Chip Ganassi. That's pretty wild, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, and the one guy who was probably shocked more than anybody in this situation, maybe two guys, had to be Kurt Busch and Ross Chastain. I don't think either one of them got the memo. Definitely didn't get the facts. I mean, they just like, really? Seriously? This is the guy I'm driving for, and I had no idea this was coming down the pike. And, and Kurt's I mean, much seriously? older than Marks. Marks is a couple years older than me, I think. And Kurt, you know, yeah. Kurt's, so Kurt, I mean, Kurt if, if they keep Kurt, Kurt's boss is younger than him. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those deals that – You'd think somewhere along the way, let's go have a beer and let me tell you something really cool that might be coming down the pike. These guys didn't even know about it, and I don't know where they were at the time testing or something, but it's like they had no idea. And But you think about the magnitude of what we're talking about here. Here's Chip Ganassi, a well-respected racer, not only in the NASCAR Cup Series, but he's got his fingers in a lot of other different things, you know, IndyCar and and uh, you know IMSA. road racing, yeah, IMSA, various things. And here's a guy who waltzes into his office one day and says, hey, uh, I'd like to buy everything you got on the Cup Series. And, of course, he chuckles or takes a sip of his coffee and is, like, not interested. I said, no, no, I think you'll be interested when I tell you what I want. <laughs> yeah. And so he writes down a number on a piece of paper, folds it up four times, and slides it across the big oak table. And it's like, really? Seriously? This is, no, nah, I don't know. So, no, nah, you really need to take another look at that number, whatever that number was. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever gone over to Chip Ganassi Racing to look through the window or look at the cars being worked on, that's a mammoth, mammoth big outfit oh, over there. Gorgeous, so just race shop. Is yeah. Awesome. So just, so just look at the building itself. And if you're dabbling in real estate at all. You know, maybe you're looking at, I don't know, I'm, I'm just going to throw a number out there. I don't know, maybe eight, ten million dollars. I don't know what the, that's a big, big number when, when you look at the facility alone. And then let's toss in some cars, let's toss in some equipment. And oh, by the way, we're going to buy the contracts of all your people, 300 people or whatever, and let's, let's buy the contracts of your drivers. So you're looking at a huge, huge, huge amount of money. Now, where did the money come from? Don't know. 
But I mean, that's a huge undertaking and that's a big, big number. So it had to have been a number with lots and lots of zeros attached to the Because they didn't have to negotiate. Chip to just like right takes this side. meeting and he walks out of that room and he doesn't own a team anymore. That's when you yeah. uh, when you don't have to negotiate, you uh, you came to the table with a pretty good number. But then see, mm-hmm. I gotta wonder, Ben, I gotta ask you this. If you're Justin Marks and you just throw out a number, and I and I don't know if this is exactly how it happened, but if you're Justin Marks and you write down a number on a sheet of paper and you slide it across the table to Chip Ganassi and he says sold. Mm-hmm. When you leave, when you get in your truck, car, Batmobile, whatever it is that Justin Marks drives, and you're driving back on the highway there in Concord, you not ask yourself, well, if he jumped at it that much, I could have gone down a little bit. Yeah, well, that's true. And I, I mean, I, I don't have any concept of what that number was. I really don't have, and I'm not even going to throw yeah, one out there because I. I don't want to start a rumor or anything like that. But it had to have been a major, major, major number to, to get, you know, Chip Ganassi to even look at the number, okay? Because yeah. he wasn't looking to get out of the Cup Series. That we know of. And I, and I believe Chip of. at his word. I, I take him I take him at his word. I don't think he was either. Um, because, you know, a lot of people, uh, Dale Jr. included, believe that owning a Cup team will be cheaper next year with this Gen 7 car. Um, so it's... If you're wanting to sell your team when a, at a time when you think it's going to become cheaper, was now the time to sell? Who knows? But, I mean, I guess, you know, we'll never know unless mm-hmm. we just straight up ask Chip. And I didn't get a chance to ask Chip that at Mid-Ohio um, for many reasons, not the least of which is I wouldn't do it anyway. But, um, you know, it, the, the timing was just interesting, Ben, that, you know, out of the blue, one of the biggest teams in the Cup Series and um, some might argue Chevy's second biggest team, depending on how you feel about Richard Childress Racing, um, is going in the hands of a, a 40-year-old from Missouri who um, is uh, is quickly buying up NASCAR properties left and right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean I, it's an interesting it's an interesting concept, that, uh, and nobody at all saw this coming. And whoever was in charge of keeping it a secret, kudos because they they really did keep it a secret. And it, it, they said it, it was it moved pretty quickly in, in less than a span of a month. And, you know, when you're looking at a big major corporate buyout of any kind, it usually doesn't it, it usually takes months and months. I mean, you're looking at lawyers over across the table and you're looking at every paragraph and every dot and every period and every every sentence. I mean, it's not something that's lightly taken. It, sure. it, uh, even when you're selling a house. OK. You're looking at your real estate agents are across the table and the, and the seller and the buyer. And there's a lot of things going on. And I mean, when you so when you're looking at a big corporate uh, takeover or a corporate sale like that, mm-hmm. it, it, there's a lot of things that you have to go over. And, it, and it's not taken very lightly. So uh, kudos to whoever put that deal together. And congratulations to Trackhouse and Justin Marks and congratulations to Chip. And uh, I, I don't think it... I don't think it was done very lightly. I think he had to, he probably stared at Cecilitex in the bedroom a few nights. Do I really want to do this? <laughs> well, both yeah. are, on both sides, because yeah. it's a lot of responsibility for the employees. And it's a lot of responsibility to say, do I want to sell out? I put a lot of time invested into this. I built my race team. Do I want to get out of NASCAR at this time? Looks like it's pretty promising at this point mm-hmm. that, you know, the sponsorships, are, are maybe interested again with a new car and things are picking up. COVID's out of the way, thank God. 
and everybody's starting to get a little more interested in things. Do I want to get out? So, you know, we'll see how this goes. And I wish them both all the all the best of the world. I hope yeah. it works out on both sides. I uh, I was trying to think about who would be comparable historically to something this shocking. And I think I got a pretty good comparison, Ben. You can tell me how far off I am. Say it's like, it's like 2000. Uh, Felix Sabatis has been in the Cup Series for quite a while. He's got a pretty successful operation. Um, not quite as much success in the last seven or eight years as he had before, but mm. still pretty competitive. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, Felix Sabatis sells his team to Boris Said. Is that kind of not what this is like? Uh, yeah, I'll kind of. Yeah, I mean, I, there's, I, no, there's no apples-to-apples comparison, but it's in the surprise, like, all right, guy who's well-renowned as a road racer, made some cup starts, showed how well he can compete in NASCAR, has at least one Xfinity Series win, um, you know, comes out of nowhere and and buys a very competitive Cup Series team. It just, you right. know, there's there's not a lot of basis for comparison. Um, I guess you could say Roger Penske jumping in the Cup Series um, when he, he purchased Raymond Beetle's Blue Max operation in 1990 uh, to start his team in 1991. But Penske was already a mainstay in, in motorsports for decades, um, the 4th of July, as it was, Ben, was 50 years since Penske's first IndyCar win, and they win at Mid-Ohio when I was there, which is pretty cool. But, yeah, you know, the, definitely the most surprising news, I think, of, of the NASCAR season at this point is uh, oh, definitely. is, is yeah. Justin Marks buying uh, Chip Ganassi Racing, which is, you know, there, there's going to be a lot. I think a lot of people are going to talk about that in the coming months, and there's going to be a lot more. Um, that yeah. we'll hear from, from both sides. But one thing that you guys ought to hear from both sides of the microphone, uh, going to give you some more listening material. So the NASCAR Weekly Podcast is live every Wednesday, and it features your favorite NASCAR YouTubers discussing all the hot storylines of the week. You guys ought to subscribe to The Iceberg, which I think is one of the coolest nicknames. Danny B Talks, Black Flags Matter, and some guy named Eric. I think you think you've heard of him, Ben, um, mm-hmm. on YouTube to never miss a show. Also, Noah Talks NASCAR features creator Noah Cornelius interviewing folks from around the NASCAR industry about their journey from drivers to musicians. Follow at Noah C. Cornelius on Twitter so you never miss a show. Uh, Got to say, Ben, I speak, I think, very highly of Noah. Noah's a, a super kid, uh, knows his stuff you know, phenomenally. Eric and what he's done for the NASCAR YouTube community, he, he's not just maintain it he's built it in ways that i think few would ever have the capability and the wherewithal to do so listening to i think eric's got a lot of great opinions and i think one of the things that people like most about eric is that he presents his cases uh and his opinions on things in ways that you know the average nascar fan cannot just digest but can also appreciate and he's he's you know he's the king of doing that um so you guys ought to listen to them and listen to the iceberg too. Listen, if anybody told me to subscribe to something called the iceberg, I'm I'm pretty much sold. I mean that's that's cool. You know, Jared's mm-hmm. an awesome dude, but like if you're if you're going by the iceberg, like I'm just going to trust that whatever content you're throwing my way is pretty awesome. And when it comes to NASCAR Weekly Podcast, you can trust me; it absolutely is. Um, and it, that's the things that we know, Ben. We know the NASCAR Weekly Podcast is pretty pretty badass. We know Noah talks NASCAR is pretty badass because Noah's very good about talking NASCAR and has some pretty great stories. I like to think a lifetime in NASCAR is pretty darn fun as well. But we don't know what, uh, at least we don't know for sure, going in a different direction, Ben, where NASCAR is going to race on the 4th of July over the long term. So I want to ask you, 
I grew up watching NASCAR races on on Fourth of July and the weekend of the fourth. You grew up listening to NASCAR races when they raced on July fourth every year at the same place, Daytona. Where do you think NASCAR ought to race on July fourth if you had the choice? Well, <laughs> well, if I had the choice, I would love to see it go back to Daytona because okay. it's just tradition. Sure. And I, I'm sorry, but I just you know it's hard for me to to uh, accept it anywhere else. Because... I, I don't disagree. And and that's come from somebody who loves road racing. Again, I mean, just drove 500 miles to see a road race. So I love road racing. Road America is a blast. It's a must watch when Xfinity series was there, but I agree with you, Ben. Um, they're just uh, Daytona July 4th, man, you know, no disrespect to road America. They put on a great show. Um, yeah, they did. The fans are, the fans are going to be happy anytime Chase Elliott wins. So that, that, that didn't hurt. Um, and it's just absolutely scary to think Chase is already two wins from time that all-time cup record and most road course wins, which he's not going to break that record. He's going to obliterate it probably in the next calendar year. Um, but back to July 4th, to me, I think, you know, and we are a story, and this episode has in so many ways entrenched the fact that we're old, Ben. And, um, and I am. <laughs> you know, part of being old is being set in your ways, I guess. And so I'm going to... Um, I'm going to say I think they all are still race at Daytona. I mean, just from all my memories of a kid of watching the July race at Daytona, um, attending the July race at Daytona, being Greg Biffle's good luck charm in 2003, um, but also Dale Jr. winning the race in 01 was incredible. Uh, the 98 race when it got moved to October because of the wildfires, it was the first one under the lights. Um, John Andretti winning it out of nowhere for Kelly Yarborough in 1997. Um, and then on back, you know, like uh, 91 Bill Elliott's last win with, with Melling. Um, Greg Sachs, don't talk about somebody out of nowhere winning in 85. Bill Elliott's um, you know, barely just scraped by Rick Wilson in 88. There's there's so many classic races. Uh, Tim Richmond winning it in 86. Were you there for that race, Ben? Uh, I was not there for that race, but I was about two feet from the radio and I heard Barney Hall and MRN call the race. I mean, I, I wasn't there, but I heard it. I would love and, to have covered a race. Tim yeah. Richmond won, man. Yeah. I, I was, I just have, I was covering races then. I just, it just wasn't on my travel schedule to go, but I promise you, I remember sitting there listening. I don't think it was on TV back in those days. Uh, ABC wide world of sports would cover parts of races, right? They didn't cover them all. And until, uh, well, they, the 1979 Daytona 500, they covered the whole thing, but they were still trying to cover the whole things. In some some instances, I don't think they covered the whole thing in that race. But I want to say this to to you and our listening audience: the, the the NASCAR doctor has prescribed for me a new school pill that I have to take every day, and that new school pill still hasn't kicked in yet. I'm old school, and I'm trying to get used to new school thinking and it's 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 not kicking in yet I'm, you gotta I'm join still, twitter then ben you need to join I, twitter man I, i'm telling I you know, man i'm trying really hard but i am old school and i love old school <laughs> yeah and i love i'm a mixture seeing, of both so i respect I know, that. and i love seeing those those firecracker 400 races on the fourth of july it's got that super feel it was so great to go down there and we we would cover races at 10 o'clock in the morning green flag it'd be 160 laps where we cover the race, writer stories. We don't. We'd be on the beach by two thirty, three o'clock. I mean, it was. It was. There was. Some, I can't describe it, but it was so cool to see those races 
there on the beat right sure. here at the 4th of July. And it's Daytona 4th of July. It just goes together. So I'm trying really, really hard, folks. I'm trying to be new school, new school, new school. It's just so hard for me to do. So That's I'm all right, Ben. Pills. I'm going to start calling you Benji now just to kind of <laughs> add some Gen Z to your life. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, I agree with you on, on almost all of the accounts as far as I think gracing it at Daytona. But I would go a little bit different. I would hate, um, just from, from working at a racetrack for many years now, um, and one as illustrious in Charlotte, I would hate doing PR for Daytona if the race was at 9 or 10 a.m. because that would mean I'd have to be at the track at probably 4 a.m. and that would suck. And um, it'd be, I don't, I wonder how the TV networks would, would be about a race when a lot of people are still sleeping off their hangover from the night before. Um, because, you know, that goes into a whole generational deal of had, has, uh, you know, have we, um, have we gotten so far off that, that people don't want to watch a sporting event in the morning? Hard to say. Oh, no, I, I think everybody, truthfully, I think that's, I don't think everybody would love to see a sporting event in the morning. Matter of fact, we just never went to bed the night before. Really, we'd get to the track about oh, no way, four, three thirty, four o'clock. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, we get there. Maybe, maybe I don't know. Maybe sometimes we get there about five, five thirty. And but you did it, this. It, you did this by by choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because oh. we would. We would have we get we go to Waffle House maybe get some breakfast or something and just swing over to the track and and we people would be partying all night anyway and yeah. never really went to bed and just you know the atmosphere man that's what you got to remember the atmosphere then yeah. the sun come up about six ish and and everybody everybody just had a blast and it was all one big party and oh by the way the race is going to start about ten and uh, they did driver introductions and the cars would be on the track and zoom i mean we it was just a fun time it, i wish i could get people to zoom back into the to the 70s and, and 80s and just just feel it it was just so much fun in those days and it was it, it was a camaraderie between the the riders and the the drivers and the crews and it, it was so much fun man i mean drivers would even come up to us and say hey i got a story idea for you guys this this is what you need to cover and I can't describe it. It was so much fun. It wasn't a job. It was it was just a it was an it was adventure. A party. It was a party. It was fun, and we all got along together, and and everybody just kind of camped out together, and we traveled together. We were all one big family. We still are, but back in those days, we really were one big family, and we'd yeah. see each other week to week, and uh, we cover each other, and and it was just fun. I mean, it's still fun now, but it was really fun in those days. It was definitely different, but I do agree with you that it was fun. And what else was fun, Ben? Was episode twenty-two of a Lifetime NASCAR podcast with you? I think we have crossed the finish line. Um, checkered flag is out on episode twenty-two, but it's been a blast as always chatting it up mm-hmm. with you. Uh, can't wait to do it again soon. For you guys listening, throw a rating our way wherever you're listening, whether it's on planet Earth, whether it's in the garage at at Pocono, wherever it is. We'd love to hear your feedback. Um, we're going to get cracking on episode 23 very quickly. But in the meantime, since the checkered flag has fallen on episode 22, for my Gen Z buddy, Benji White, because that's what we're going to call him now. <laughs> no, since no. he's, Yep, it's got to be Benji. I'll let you come up with a different name if you want, Ben, before we get to episode 23. But right now, it's for my buddy, Benji White, who is super Gen Z and has a ton of followers on Instagram. Um and is the selfie selfie taken king Benji White? 
for my buddy Benji White. I'm Aaron Burns. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of A Lifetime in NASCAR. We'll be back with episode 23 very soon. In the meantime, so long, everybody. Eric Estep here. This episode is brought to you by Forney Industries. Get it done with green. Forney offers a full line of welding and plasma cutting machines, metalworking accessories, and more. For do-it-yourselfers all the way to professional metalworkers, Forney has everything you need for your next project. Shop Forney's top-of-the-line products at forneyind.com. That's Forney, F-O-R-N-E-Y, ind, I-N-D.com, or at an authorized Forney dealer near you.